And I realized at the end of the day, it's when, when people know that the boss cares for their well-being, they'll work really hard for you. Everyone's going to, you know, most of the people are going to work hard either way because they got mortgages to pay and kids in college. So, you know, everyone's got to work. But man, when they know that you care for their well-being and, and you know, love them, is, is we'll, we'll probably use that word a lot because I use it a lot myself, they work hard for you. And that's really the, the essence of the book. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 95 of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of leadership and practical love, the kind of love where people feel connected, engaged, where they grow and and have a purpose in their work, a place where they feel loved. And that's really good for business. Glad you could join us. And if you like what you hear, please share this episode with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So my guest today, is retired Captain Mark Broker of the United States Navy. As a U.S. Navy officer leading teams at installations around the country, overseas and onboard ships, Captain Broker got firsthand knowledge of which leadership techniques work and frankly, which do not. And now he chronicles all of his experiences during his naval career, including stints at the Gulf War and Desert Storm in a highly acclaimed new book called Lessons from the Navy, how to earn trust, lead teams, and achieve organizational excellence. And now Mark teaches us the formula that can be applied by anyone leading a team, whether it's a corporation, a small business, or a nonprofit. Mark served as commanding officer, by the way, at one of the largest naval hospitals worldwide, and as chief of staff for Navy Medicine West, where he was responsible for 10 hospitals spanning the West Coast to the Indian Ocean. He is now a keynote speaker, an author, a consultant, a coach, helping businesses and Fortune 500 companies with the principles he learned in the Navy. And now he joins us. Welcome, Captain Mark, to the Love in Action podcast. Marcel, really excited to be here. Me too. I've been looking forward to this. And the reason being, if I may be quite honest, that you are the first military officer of any sort that has actually joined this show. So I'm, I'm thrilled about this conversation. Well, thanks for the invitation. Interesting in itself that I'm the first, but you know, I think that the Navy and military has a stereotype of a more of a command control yeah. rather than a compassionate leadership style. And I, I'm kind of debunking that a little bit. Anyway, so yeah, I'm really thrilled to be here with you. Yeah, you are. You know, I was mentioning offline that when uh, the book was sent to me and, and it came across my desk, I knew immediately that this mark is right on on point with our message, our theme of love and action. So here's how we start the show. It's a gratitude moment and it's tradition. So I'm going to ask you, what makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? I, I guess like everyone else, you know, I've been married to my wife 38 years now, I guess, 39 years. And uh, just love uh, the fact that we woke up and we're together. And I uh, got three beautiful children, a grandchild, and, and sometime during the day we always interact with one of them. So just the fact that we can still uh, contact my, my my closest family members and 
and my mom and dad, of course. So yeah, just the family that they're around, at least, you know, online and things like that. So yeah, great way to start this. Yeah. Thank goodness for technology and the in the age of COVID where at least we can look at each other's faces on a screen versus, you know, 25 years ago. So Mark, the title is again of the book is Lessons from the Navy. So I, w- I want to start from the top. Give us a, a big picture before we dive into the, the specific lessons in the book. I mean, what would you say is the overarching lesson that frames the book? Yeah, that's really the essence of it. You know, 25 year journey. I just been intrigued with leadership. I guess talking back in the 90s, I just noticed sometimes I was really excited to go to work, sometimes hated going to work. And I looked at it and kind of studied a little bit. I realized it had nothing to do with the job I had. I had different jobs in the Navy and it had nothing to do with the, where I was located. Sometimes I had quote unquote great duty stations, you know, along the coast of Southern California. Others, I didn't have such great duty stations in the Midwest where some of those were kind of rough. But what I realized it was my boss. It was my boss who was, who was not dictating my mood, but basically could, could get me in a motivated mood and some just the other, I'm demotivated, unmotivated. So I just started a journey to try to figure out why. And over a long period, I, I read a lot of books, but more importantly, I observed and tried things and saw what happened, took a lot of notes, which is really the nidus of the book. And I realized at the end of the day, it's when, when people know that the boss cares for their well-being. They'll work really hard for you. Everyone's going to, you know, most of the people are going to work hard either way because they got mortgages to pay and kids in college. So, you know, everyone's got to work. But man, when they know that you care for their well-being and, and, and love them, is, is we'll, we'll probably use that word a lot because I use it a lot myself, they'll work hard for you. And that's really the, the essence of the book. And what I really go into, which is why I think the book is getting good reviews, is I explain how you can actually show that you care. Because I can tell people, hey, take care of your people. Okay, great. How do I do that? And, you know, it's, it may be common sense, but people really need to know what the data says, that people, what people resonate with. And that's what the book's about. So I, I'm kind of curious. Is there a before and after version of Mark as a leader? I mean, <laughs> do you have your own metamorphosis? What were you like before you read up on all of these, these books and you're going to have to ask people who work for me back in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know if there's a dramatic metamorphosis, but I, I know for a fact, and every time we give this talk, uh, I said it's, a, it's a actually a good question, is I think, and I tell this, I, I tell this, I say, listen, I didn't, I remember a time back in, you know, I can remember the time when I kind of blew up at a, a young sailor. And I immediately knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I was so angry and so frustrated. So yeah, there's a lot of times where I did not do these things. And frankly, no one does these things perfectly. Let's just be completely honest. And when I give a talk, when I used to give talks, hopefully we'll get through this COVID thing and I'll get back on the road because I love doing that. I'll see people in the audience kind of, you know, put their head down because I know what they're thinking. Oh gosh, yesterday I didn't do that. And so I tell them, I say, listen, don't beat yourself up. No one does these things perfectly. Just be mindful and try to make it better going forward. So in answer your question, I don't think there was a dramatic metamorphosis, but I guarantee you I, I'm a better leader than I was 20, 30 years ago, just because you know I made every mistake in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mark, you know, a lot of people think that the military is top down command and control. And some say, some, some may go right now, listening to me. Now, you know, military leadership tactics just won't work in a corporate setting or in my organization. I mean, is that true or false? The stereotype is definitely true. And actually, uh, Mr. Trapp with Forbes wrote a nice review on the book. And, and he, I think the title is, you know, the command, the Navy is not about command and control. And it really is a kind of an attention grabbing title of the, of the article. 
But yeah, at the end of the day, whether you're in a military or a nonprofit or you know a corporation, the command and control there is a time and place for command and control. You know, Ken Blanchard. There's different leadership styles for different situations. When you're in battle, obviously you're you're going to have to take charge and direct people. And same thing, you know, I, I do a lot of coaching. When the COVID thing hit in a couple of hospitals up in Seattle, fortunately that leader up there of the hospital understood it was time to be command control. And he did it for a short period of time, very short period of time. Then you get back into the care and compassion mode. But 99% of the time, you're not in that crisis mode. You're not in battle. It's care and compassion that moves the ball. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's get into the nuts and bolts of the book. So yes, we've you already mentioned care and compassion. Walk us through your experience because I want to know we want to know what you saw firsthand, because, I mean, you have, you were in the trenches. So which leadership techniques work and which do not, in your experience? Yeah, so, you know, what I kind of dissected down, and, I, you know, when I went into command, you've got to come up with a, and command is basically the CEO of a hospital, and it was a pretty big hospital, like you mentioned. And I really thought deeply before I went into command what I should be doing. And this is after 25 years of watching, observing, what behaviors would show that I care for my people. The reason I did that, frankly, was self-survival because about three days before this, this, I took command, I couldn't sleep. And I'm sure people in the audience have been given jobs that feel like they're not qualified for. And frankly, I was not qualified for this job. I did not really know how to run a hospital. You know, I knew enough about it not to hurt myself, but there were many more people more qualified on paper than I was. And I, I thought deeply, I said, what how am I going to survive this thing? And my wife gave me wise counsel. She said, you know, just be the best leader you can be. You've been studying this stuff for 25 years. You must have learned something along that road. And that's what I did. And the, the, what I talk about in the book is, is I wanted to get to know my people, you know, know them as a human being, not just as a, you know, whatever they do for the job. I wanted to be visible. I want to get out of my office and see them and build that trust. I want to treat them with respect. Uh, respect is probably the most important behavior a leader can convey to a, a, one of his, his or her team members. I wanted to make sure I gave them accolades and told them to do a good job. And I also wanted to say, listen, here's, if they're not doing a good job, address that. I call it, don't ignore a good or poor performance and optimism. And the last one is just continuous learning the art of leadership. So those are the things that I worked really hard on. And frankly, I made, made those expectations of the leaders who work for me and everything down the line. So that was, in a nutshell, that's what, uh, that's the behaviors that I, that I talk about. Mm. Mark. I want to maybe, I don't know if it's fair to say, I want to put you up on a pedestal a little bit, only because you have such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom from your experience in the Navy. And we want to pass that on to our listeners. So I want you to use a real life example of a time when you exhibited really strong leadership, maybe in a crisis situation or just, you know, building a kind of culture that aspires to high performance. Using you, of course, as the leader, we want to learn from you. What would be a good story? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I guess let me just convey something that I think this is important for everyone to understand. Every interaction a leader has with a team member impacts whether it's going to be more trust or less trust and, and heading towards fear. And it, every interaction I talk about, just an email, uh, the way you walk down the hallway and grimace, if you grimace, that's not going to help. So everything you do as a leader creates either a culture of trust or culture of fear. And once I understood that, I realized that since every interaction, some more than others, obviously, some interactions have much more impact than others. In a crisis, for instance, that is a massive interaction, if you will, that will have a dramatic effect on 
whether you're going to create trust or fear. So what happened with us was there was a Haiti devastating earthquake in, two, I think it was 2009, 2010. And I was going to lose basically my board of directors. They wanted, they needed to deploy to Haiti. And that, that moment when I got the call on that Sunday morning, I, you know, we had the team get together on that Sunday morning to try to figure out what the heck we're going to do to run the hospital with all my leaders deployed. Uh, but I, I was in the mode, Marcel, that I understood that this is an opportunity to build trust. So that settled me down, calmed me. And when I went in there, I was very calm. I was just in a good zone. And I can't say I did that all the time. But when I understood and embraced the fact that this is an opportunity to build trust, man, and we did. We ended up, they never did deploy. It was all just, a, you know, we didn't, they didn't need them. But for like three days, they did. And we worked really close as a team. And that team looked at that as an opportunity and, and just did a great job. Another example I'll just share with you, I do a lot of coaching of VA medical center directors today. And I'm not going to mention which one, but they had a, a mass vaccination event. Like everyone's talking about the COVID thing. Like 2,000 veterans showed up. It was in the Northeast, so it's kind of cold. And, and the, the CEO of the hospital was there directing. Everyone was there. It was all hands on deck. And it was a mass confusion. It was crazy. And But every one of those veterans got a vaccine. And everyone walked out of there at 7 o'clock at night exhausted. But it built trust in the team because they saw the leader in rolling her sleeves up. And, and again, it was an interaction. It's kind of a crisis. Holy smokes, we got 2,000 veterans outside the door. But the CEO of that hospital understood that this is an opportunity to build trust, and she did a marvelous job. Yeah. So I hope that answers the question. It's, it is, and again, for, it's hard for leaders, and it was hard for me to realize that, okay, a crisis hits, you're going to go in one or two directions. You're going to kind of panic, or you're going to say, holy smokes, this is an opportunity to really build my team. And if you can go in that direction, man, you, you're way ahead of the team. Right yeah. Way ahead of the game. yeah, yeah. I want to dig in a little deeper on the, the trust part of this this whole equation of, of leading well. So why is it? I mean, a lot of people look at trust. They don't know the, the criteria for getting to trust. And so they never experience it. So what would you say is the pathway to getting to, you know, sort of that pinnacle, which is trust, which lead to all kinds of awesome things in business? Yeah. And there's different aspects of trust. I talked about the book a little bit. Obviously, you got to have some modicum of competency. You can't be incompetent if you're in technically, I'm talking about the technical aspect of the job, but that's a given. You, you got to be competent and you got to be trustworthy in the fact that you got to keep your word. But I, I can't, I can't teach technical expertise. I can't teach a computer technician to become a computer expert. I can't teach ethics. I can't teach people to say, Hey, you gotta, you gotta follow through with your promises. So those two, you're, you know, you, know, that's a different, that's a different discussion. But the third one that I talk about in the book is how to build trust is getting to know your people and caring for them. Caring for your people, and I think of the three, is the most powerful. The data would support that. And it's the one that is not ignored. I'm not, I shouldn't say that, but it's just not really taught and talked about. If you talk to a lot of people, I have an MBA. I got it years ago. And the only thing I learned back then was MBA, the MBWA management by walking around. They, said they did talk about being visible. But that was really the only aspect of behaviors of a leader that builds trust. So in, in my opinion, again, you got to be competent. You got to keep your word. You can't be lying to people, obviously. But this third one of really showing compassion, caring, love, that's the one that is, is money left on the table because people don't gravitate towards that. And I think one reason is I don't think people understand the power. Of it. And frankly, they're not taught it in most leadership development curricula or in, in, in school, right, in, in university. 
Yeah, yeah, most you're part, totally. There are, there are courses, but and for the most part, it's not a core curriculum piece of a of an MBA or even a BA program. Yeah, yeah, that's spot on, Mark. Okay, so you have so many leadership lessons sprinkled throughout. I love it. It's all over the place in your book and little, you know, rectangular highlights, if you will, which I love. And and so these lessons are based on some critical behaviors that are crucial in showing that leaders care for their team members. So I want to unpack what some of those critical behaviors are and their effects on people. I'm not going to give them away yet because I'm going to, I'm setting this up for you. Okay. So the good captain and I will do just that after this quick message. We'll be right back. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now. And I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. Okay, we're back. So of all the leadership traits that are critical for success with a team, talk about which, which of those are most important. What are they? Yeah, I probably should have put this one as the first chapter in the book, but uh, I didn't, but it's okay. It's still important. I, I can answer your question, respect. And basically, there's, a, there's data to support that real quick. There was a fascinating study published in the Harvard Business Review a few years ago. A company interviewed 20,000 workers from around the world in different industries. And they asked a simple question, what gets you excited to go to work every day? And it was, it was five behaviors that were presented to the folks to choose from. One was, you know, I, I, a strong vision by the, the boss, you know, recognition for work, opportunities for learning, growth, and development, respect, and one other one, I can't remember what it is. Respect was the one that blew them all away. It blew them all away. And you think about that, you can have a, just, just practically speaking, the folks listening to this podcast, if you have a, a leader with a strong vision but treats his or her people terribly, not going to work. You could have a leader who, you could have, I've I coached so many people who are in companies that are guaranteed jobs that are going to be, you know, promotions and, and opportunities in that company, but their boss is a jerk and they quit. You could have a, an opportunity to, to make sure that maybe the boss does give you of accolades and stuff, but he doesn't, he or she does it disrespectfully. So respect is the key. And one aspect of respect, and that's such a huge bucket to unpack, but real quick, the, the piece of that that I think is the most important is maybe underplayed is just listening. If leaders listen 
that is such a powerful form of respect that I, I respect what you're saying. I want to hear what you're saying. I may not agree, but I'm going to hear you out. And at the end of the day, I'm going to take your thoughts into consideration. And that is the ultimate form of respect. And the great leaders of the world, though the, the one thing and all the folks I worked for, I think back and said, yeah, they were a good listener. I just gave, I gave a talk yesterday to a bunch of uh, mid-level managers in the Navy called the NCOs, non-commissioned officers. And this is what we fo- we focus on. I didn't, I didn't start there. I just asked them, tell me about some great leaders you work for. And they all said, yeah, my leaders listened well. So respect is, I think, the most important. And under that banner of respect is probably listening. And there's a lot of other things I talk about in the book about respect. But in a short one, that's that's probably the most important. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned respect because uh, my little story goes back to 2005. And I referenced this in all my my keynotes and coaching appointments, whatever is that my favorite boss of all time that I reported to, he was, an, he was an executive and I was a director. And he respected the socks off of me. And the, so the respect really was a way of valuing me as a human being and as you know one of his employees. And I'm telling you, I would have ran through walls for that guy because I knew that he valued me, he valued me so much. I mean, he if I may just say it, he loved me. <laughs> he loved me. And so I wanted to give, I wanted to love him back by, by giving him my best work, my best performance. And, you know, yeah. And that's, that's what respect does. Yeah. And love is in there. You're spot on. And again, I, I guarantee there's a lot of people that listen to this you know, resonating with that story. Great. To, yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly what my experience was. Yeah. Yeah. So Mark, you also mentioned there's quite a few behaviors. I like the one that is is being visible. I like optimistic, being optimistic, but I especially like the one that is about driving out fear. So let's talk a little bit about fear because I there's so much fear is still prevalent in how leaders and managers managing people. And most leaders, I don't believe, are fully aware that they lead with fear and intimidation or or what it does to people. So as a leader moving up the ranks. What was your experience first with fear-based management? Did you see it? And then how do we remove ourselves from this, this space of, you know, instilling fear in the minds of others? It doesn't work, does it? No, it does not work. And, you know, I say in the book, cultures of fear breed bad decisions. Cultures of fear breed bad decisions. And there are so many case studies. The Tarifa, the worst air collision in the in the, in the history of mankind that happened, I think in the seventies, that was a culture fear. The challenge disaster was a culture fear. I could go into all each of these. So I, I, man, there's so much to talk about there, but in a nutshell, it's behaviors of the leader, the behaviors of the leader, what you do minute by minute, second by second will create either a culture of fear or culture of trust, period. And in, for instance, bad news. What I say, I think I gave a talk yesterday to all these folks, just tremendously talented leaders. I just reminded them that bad news is coming. And everyone on this podcast who's in, in any, any level of leadership is going to get bad news. You may be getting it right now in a text. The point is you can't control that. The bad news is coming. I mean, obviously you want to minimize it, but you know, most of it's outside your control. What you can't control is how you react to that, how you act in, when you get that bad news. Uh, everybody's been there. Where if you give bad news to your boss and he or she gets angry or you know shoots the messenger, worst case scenario, what's going to happen is people are not going to touch that stove. They're not going to touch the hot iron anymore. They're going to say, "Well, I'm not going to tell the boss." And next thing you know, you're you're flying blind. And every disaster can be traced back to a culture of fear. And I've, I've done this. I won't, won't I probably 
to write a book about that is the leaders' behaviors, second by second, minute by minute, that drive that train. And, and personally, I have worked for a leader who has created a culture because every time bad news came, boom, anger. And, and I was the second in charge of this, this unit. And I just was very reticent to give that person bad news. And in the book, I tell a story about a missing leg. I won't go into it because it's a couple of minutes. You actually got a TED Talk about it. So you can check out my TED Talk because it's a funny story, but it's a great story because it, it describes how I almost, well, I did. I considered doing something pretty stupid. I was going to get rid of the leg and hide it. So I didn't have to, what happens? We found a leg in a building in a hospital and it was, you know, kind of a mystery. What, how did this leg come about? And again, kind of a long story. I, my boss at the time was a pretty, you know, like I said, very angry when it, when they got bad news. And I almost considered just burying that thing, get rid of it so I wouldn't have to tell the boss about it, and which would have been a horrible decision. And I didn't do that, unfortunately, but I considered it. And, and that's the problem with cultures of fear. It does go down bad paths. So hopefully that answered the question because it is such an important topic. It's yeah. such an important topic. Yeah, it does. It does. So, okay, I want to ask for your opinion. We know that love and care trumps fear. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that love and care leads to business results. Fear, like we just said, strips people of their dignity, their ability to be creative and and to innovate. So here's the why question, because I'm trying to figure this out, but I think you almost have to be a PhD level psychologist to answer the question. So I'm, I'm just asking for your opinion, not your expertise. Why is it that fear and intimidation it's still the name of the game in, in corporate corporate society in how you know people are managed. No, I, yeah, that is a mystery, man. I was I gave a talk a couple of years ago in Chicago and some I I got to put my guard down and thought the talk was over, the Q and A portion was over. So I, I wasn't really on my game, unfortunately. I should have stayed on my game. But I said, What any last question? And the, the guy asked that question, why do people lead by fear? And I sat there with deer in the headlights and I just I couldn't answer the question, but I, I started digging into it and I didn't mail them back. I, you know, that's a great question, Marcel. I think one, it's not, and it's in, I talk about it in the book a little bit because I'm not an expert on this, but, but I have looked at it and, and talked to leaders around the world and try to figure this thing out. But one, it's not taught. It's not taught that, you know, just like I said, everything you do for a culture, it's either culture, fear, trust, trust, high performance, fear, bad decisions. That's the, the first piece. I, I just think, and again, I mentioned in the book, leaders today are, you know, a lot of them are overwhelmed. There was a study done, I, I don't know, 70% of the leaders say, yeah, I'm overwhelmed. Mm. And all the, the stuff that leaders have to do, they forget that their primary job, and this is important to talk about, this is go there right now, a primary job of a CEO, his or her primary job is creating culture. That's it. That's it. And and even a, a mid-level manager who's still doing, maybe an IT guy who's who's got five people working for him or her, and he, he is still doing some IT work. Okay, 50% of your work is individual contributor type stuff. But the other 50% is creating the culture on your team. And, and when people understand that, I think there's a propensity to say, okay, I got to be careful. I got to be careful. I can't get mad at Jim because the third time I told him to do this, he didn't do it. There's a better way to do it. So I just think people aren't aware. And that's why I love, you know, what you're doing, getting the word out, Marcel, that it is about love, is about trust. And when people are more aware of it and see the, the data that supports that, they'll be more likely to, to curb those bad behaviors, if, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so which of all of these behaviors that you have taught us in the, in the book, 
from your experience, obviously. I mean, uh, is there one that you value the most when it comes to boss employee relationships? Yeah, yeah. With respect, we talked about. Yeah, and you know, the other one I want to talk about real quick is is kind of a dual one. Knowing your staff and being visible, they kind of go hand in hand. So just imagine, imagine. Marcel, you'd come and work for me the first time. You've just gotten through the whole process of getting hired and, you know, you've gone through the interview process. So we've had some interactions, but it's all pretty official. And then you have your first one-on-one with me. And 90% of the bosses will say, okay, Marcel, here's the job. I need you to be here at eight, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of go through maybe what your vision is. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But if I said this to you, Marcel, hey, welcome aboard. Welcome to Broker Leadership Solutions. Really thrilled to have you. We're just going to get to know one another. Let me tell you, you know, where I came from and how I got here for five minutes. But the next 25 minutes, I want to hear about you. And when you do that and you listen, this is not where listening comes in. This, I'm not, if I asked you that and I started looking at my cell phone, done. I don't even try to go there. I'm riveted by what you say. That is a behavior that is so powerful. There's so much data to support it. And frankly, astounded that leaders don't do this more. Because I was running a company, that's what I'd be doing. Because that builds a foundation of trust that is you cannot build more expeditiously, a more expeditiously build a foundation of trust. It, what's, it, what's the skill set needed? 30 minutes of your time and the ability to listen. That's it. But that's one. And the other one, so to say you like to, I don't know, you love to ski. And I, the other piece of this, the first behavior is, you know, your staff, second, be visible. So, you know, we, I don't know, say we're up in Vermont somewhere, we're working in Boston, I know you went skiing. And I walk by your office on Monday morning and say, hey, man, did you get out there skiing this weekend? And and you said, yeah, you know, we had a great day. We just had a nice little banter. It was just a nice way. You, you think, well, broker remembered I went, I like to ski. So little things like that are so powerful. So knowing your staff, being visible, and really what I talk about being visible, just walking around and asking people, you know, how are you doing? And don't walk around inspecting things and you know that's the thing we like to do sometimes it can command and control dna starts kicking in you're just trying to build relationships with your people and then if you do have to have a difficult conversation with someone again just because it's an, another one they all fall in place marcel it's, it's so beautiful so again two quick scenarios you come work for me i don't know you you never see me and you get in trouble and I have you come in my office. You're going to be freaking out because, oh, my God, I haven't seen this broker guy in three months and he's the boss. As opposed to, I know you. I've walked around. We've talked about skiing and things like that. And then you screw up. And I bring you in my office. You're going to be much more receptive to change your behaviors and change whatever, you know, whatever thing you're failing on under the, 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 the latter scenario. So this is not just, you know, nice to be fun and, and, and get to know your people. At the end of the day, it, it creates a high-performing team because you can course correct when people screw up because people are going to go off track. It just happens. People are not perfect. They're not robots. So you're creating this culture. So when bad news comes, you can not lose your temper. And when people don't, you know, do the things perfectly, you can course correct without a lot of drama and, and energy. So probably a long answer to your question, but it really kind of ties all these things in. Yeah, it does tie it in. It helps us to bring it home with our final two questions. But before I do that, Mark, is there any question I should have asked that is pertinent to the discussion that I didn't? No, you're you're hitting it perfectly, Marcel. You're thank you. You're, no, but thanks for that opportunity. But no, uh, you're hitting all the wickets, man. Thank good, you. good, good. Okay, so we end our episode with two questions where I ask my guests to really kind of get into their hearts. I know you're not going to have any problems with that. <laughs> so personally, Mark, for you, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? 
Yeah, well, I, you know, my mom and dad up in Maine, they're 89 and 87, haven't got the COVID thing yet. It's obviously the most important thing on everyone's mind. So I'm hopefully in an hour from now, I'll get on the on a website and get them an appointment. It saddens me that we got a lot of folks who need this thing of, of age and haven't got it. So it's tugging at my heart. That's a great question. Hopefully in an hour, I won't be tugging at my heart anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then finally, you get to close us out your way. What is that one thing, that final takeaway that you'd like to end with? Yeah, you know, I, I guess this is it. The, with leadership, it's such an opportunity to influence people. And the first thing I talk about in the first chapter of the book is the power of leadership. Because that's We didn't talk about it too much, but you're very influential as a leader. And that's it. And you can, you can use the leverage that, if you will, I don't sound Machiavellian, but you can leverage that to make people's day. You get the most out of people. You know, everyone's got potential. And those great leaders find things that, that are in people that they didn't even know they had. And when you do that, and five years later, they call you up and say, hey, because you had that conversation with me, I've got my MBA now and I'm running a company. Man, it just doesn't get any better. Than that. You can't put a price tag on that. So leaders out there, I know it's tough, but the, the, what's beautiful about leadership is you can really make people maximize their potential and make their day and and help people along their journey. Please grab a copy of the book. Once again, the title, Lessons from the Navy, How to Earn Trust, Lead Teams, and Achieve Organizational Excellence. He is Captain Mark Broker. I appreciate your time and hanging out with us and making us better for it, Mark. And by the way, if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, where can they go? Yeah, well, thanks, Marcel. My website's www. Broker Leadership Solutions, and broker has a little weird spelling, B-R-O-U-K-E-R, and then Leadership Solutions, all one word, dot com, and a lot of information there. And you can sign up on Facebook and LinkedIn. I, I, every three or four weeks, I put out a, about a, really a three-minute leadership gig, little video, it's just common sense stuff, but it helps people remind themselves of, of all the things I talk about in the book. And I'll make sure that I will include all of that in the show notes for this episode. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Marcel. I really appreciate it. Uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. Stick around for my three action steps, three things for you to start doing today based on this episode and also based on Captain Broker's book. Hey, hope you enjoyed my chat with Captain Mark Broker. Here are my three action steps to help accelerate your leadership. These are concepts that I have covered in many previous episodes, and they keep coming up. So it kind of clues us in to the fact that, hey, these are important if you're in the esteemed role of a leader. So try them and let me know how they impact the way you lead or work. Captain Broker mentioned three critical behaviors that is crucial for leaders to show that they care for their team members. Here are the three. Number one, this is your step one. You have to show respect. You know, it's amazing how far respect will go in bringing out people's best performance. Now, I'm going to speak to decision makers right now, okay? Those of you who are putting people into positions of high aspiration, those high leadership roles, okay? You have to assess your future managers for the character value of respect. If your team or company is suffering from you know, low engagement or low morale right now, get out your surveys 
and find out if there is a culture of disrespect going on right now. Step number two is you got to work on your listening. It's taking the thoughts and considerations of others into account and then acting on them. And that takes listening really well. Listening is one of the stronger traits of the best leaders. And step three for you is do this, okay? Remove the fear. Remove the fear. Pump the fear out of the work atmosphere. Just get rid of it. Cultures of fear breed bad decisions. That's a direct quote from Captain Broker. Culture of fear breed bad decisions. So those are my three steps for you to apply. Be intentional about it and live them out daily. So my special thanks again to Captain Mark Broker for joining us and giving us such inspiring wisdom. You can join the conversation and comment with hashtag LoveInActionPodcast. Finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love and Action Podcast, go ahead and send me an email or reach out to me on LinkedIn or find me on my website, marcelschwantes.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.